It's episode eight of The Boost with Lightfully Behavioral Health's CEO, Jennifer Steiner, and their chief growth officer, Andy Hollowell. Let's go. All right. Welcome to episode eight of The Boost, Conversations with People Promoting Mental Health. And I am delighted to be here with Jennifer Steiner and Andy Hollowell, LMFT, both from Lightfully Behavioral Health. Andy and Jennifer, how are you both? I'm good. Glad to be here. Awesome. Fantastic. I'm glad to be here. Glad to be here with you. So we're just going to jump right in, as we always do with all our guests, with two things. One is the virtual hug and the shameless plug. So the virtual hug is... Tell us each somebody or something you're thankful for today. Okay. Um, well, I actually had a really fun experience this weekend on Saturday. My husband and I went to see Beth Hart in concert and uh, she played here in Ojai. And I just felt so grateful to have witnessed her magic. I feel like she is one of the best female vocalists of all time. And it was just such a powerful thing to witness. Um, just so creative, so vulnerable, a lot of raw authenticity. And it's hard to not come away feeling inspired and creative yourself when you get to witness that in somebody else. Um, so I'm feeling super grateful for that today. Mm, that's awesome. And oh, hi, fewer places oh, better hi. to catch an artist or a musician than the that magical little corner of the world. How about you, yeah. Jennifer? Um, okay, I'm gonna go a very different way. Um, I am feeling grateful for one of my kiddos today who it went on her very first job interview. And it was just so sweet to see her preparing and her how excited she was and how nervous she was. It reminded me, um, it brought me back to those early days of like all the promise and hope in the world. Um, so anyhow, just feeling very grateful for her today and very proud of her. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. I hope she lands whatever she's going after. So on the heels of that, the shameless plug, this is just a moment to hear it from the people who live it and breathe it every day, especially, especially lightfully, which is we'll talk about just on an incredible growth trajectory. We're going to talk about the culture and the marketing and um, everything that goes into sustaining that level of growth while caring for the people who are both within that organization and then and then benefiting from that organization. Um, so he, let's hear from you and feel free to brag a little bit because you're doing beautiful work, but the shameless plug, just tell us what you're doing and uh, and what it is that you're doing so unique in this in this um, industry, in this part of the world. Sounds good, I'll, I'll get us started. So um, I founded Lightfully about roughly 18 months ago is when the concept um, was created and we, began this effort and it was, you know, right in the thralls of COVID and we were all feeling and experiencing really like the second pandemic. I mean, this just this very, the, the explosion of mental health conditions and, and the acuity level of mental health conditions was just so on the rise. And I just, I wanted to be part of the solution. I wanted to step up and do something. And so um, Lightfully was founded to be that um, and we provide uh, general mental health treatment. So we treat um, conditions like um, depression, anxiety, trauma, um, personality disorders, and we do it at what we call middle acuity level of care. So a step up from outpatient care, sort of everything between outpatient care and inpatient. And so, um, so that's what we're doing. Is where I, I, I like to reference the. Um, the the poem the 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 man in the arena but i, I prefer the woman in the arena version <laughs> so we are in the arena trying to be um part of the solution for mental health pandemic and we are um doing this in a way that is what i would say beautifully authentic um 
it is women led and women powered uh, company and um, and doing it with a real focus on caring for our people and our culture. So mm-hmm. Andy, what would you add? Andy, Andy and I have been together since the beginning here in this effort. So what would you add, Andy? Sure. I would just add that um, another really big mission of ours is not only providing really exceptional quality care to those that come into our doors, but really expanding access to care. So, you know, when we launched, we were brick and mortar facilities. So of course we've got these beautiful residential facilities and these standalone partial hospitalization intensive outpatient centers. But also we are trying to support clients that are in more rural areas that maybe don't have um, as much immediate access to care. And so we expanded into the virtual space as well. Um, And so now we're doing uh, virtual treatment for both adults and teens across the state of California and the state of Colorado, quickly expanding into other states coming soon. But I think that's just such an important conversation for us to be having and investing time in now is, um, you know, just finding the broadest reach and how can we support the most uh, humans possible in our care? Yeah, that's fantastic. It's this, it's this broad middle swath sort of, uh, you know, and part of my belief is that we're actually always going to need a sort of federally supported safety net, if you will, for the the very critically complex mental illness cases in the world and in our country. Um, And then you have sort of a top level, top level, you know, talk therapy care and and uh, maintenance. And I think that's very powerful in terms of what we're doing for ourselves. And and you're kind of working in this broad middle market. How did you identify that? And maybe throw this to Jennifer, because it's obvious that you have such market traction. I think you're aiming toward 30 locations in the near future and yeah, multi-state as Andy mentioned, but how did you actually identify from a market strategy standpoint that this was the place to be and these were the services to provide? Yeah, great question. So prior to Lightfully, I was um, leading an eating disorder company at, at similar, similar, similar levels of care. So we were a middle acuity provider in the eating disorder space And something that started happening was um, we were seeing a lot of clients who really weren't eating disorder primary. Um, They were mental health primary. And we would seek to place them in a a program like like Lifely, and we couldn't find many. Um, It certainly couldn't find um, good quality um, care that was like replicable across sites and we would know we're sure we're going to get um, comparable quality. So I started to see that that gap in the market. We used to call them unicorn programs because <laughs> they were very difficult to find. And then, as I mentioned, um, with, with the COVID impact and the tremendous amount of pain that outpatient therapists started to feel because they couldn't handle the acuity levels they were seeing, that was just like a double, just like a, a double reminder And then I think the third part I noticed was, you know, there's a decent amount of um, market presence in eating disorders, fairly consolidated. There's some some big, good providers and similarly, a lot of providers in the substance abuse space. But like, really, there was a void of providers that were general mental health focused and specialized, um, not doing you know, sort of like a little twist on substance abuse and and co-mingling programs as dual diagnosis, but like truly um, addressing these disorders from a mental health lens. So like, to me, it was like the screaming of the the opportunity, like, this is so wide open, somebody needs to do this. Um, It was clear to me. Mm -hmm. So partly that was your experience in the market to say, hey, there's, there's pretty much an obvious problem here that people aren't addressing with enough uh, urgency, which is we need more of these unicorns. We need actually these unicorns to just be horses. We need more of this in the market. And mm-hmm. um, and you found traction quickly that way. And it's amazing. I, I think I'm right that you launched in 2022, you said, and uh, started with a couple programs. And now, you know, it, yeah, now you're in the teens and heading toward toward 30. Um, and you are, Jennifer, from 
Santa Barbara or you live in Santa Barbara and I was doing my homework and Oprah is one of your favorite people. So I hope if you haven't had lunch with her yet that we can make that happen from this podcast. <laughs> I'm going to dream really big. Thank you, Steve. I, I just had a fairly significant birthday, Steve, back in December and my fiance um, planned a surprise party, which I didn't know, obviously, at the time. And he told me that evening, he said, get dressed up nicely because we're going to dinner and there's a special guest. And I was convinced <laughs> I, this, this, it's finally happening. I, it's finally happening. I'm going to meet Oprah. So when I opened the door to the party, I was equally as surprised to see all of my lovely friends and family, but also a little niche disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> that Oprah wasn't there. So yes, it's, it's my dream. It's my dream. Good. Well, we're going to facilitate that at some point. And, mm -hmm. and so I've pulled a couple Oprah quotes, uh, and then a couple Peter Drucker quotes based on something you said. So I'll, th I'll throw this to both of you. Um, as you're doing this important heart work and Jennifer, you've got your MBA and Andy, you're an LMFT. So you, you come at this from a, I think critically important angles when you're building a company like this personally. Um, but Oprah said this, so everybody has a calling and your real job in life is to figure out as soon as possible what that is, who you were meant to be, and to begin to honor that in the best way possible for yourself. So the question is, from a, from a, a professional work standpoint, how did you hear your calling? How did you hear your vocation? And either one of you launch into that. Go for it, Andy. This is such a good question. I feel like I could take it so many ways. Um, but I think one of the really, I think I'll start with one of the really awesome practices that we have at Lightfully is we encourage everybody that comes on board. It is part of, I think, our, our company culture to evaluate what your values are and like what drives you, what your, what your purpose is. Um, and I think through that practice and having some understanding, like I, I am really just driven by um, the values of, of growth and service. And I think those are two traits that have really sort of been the common thread throughout my life and throughout my professional, um, my professional world as well. And so, you know, I knew that um, I wanted to do something where I was helping other individuals. Um, and I knew it was something where I, I wanted to be a part of and get to witness the transformation of something going from here to here. Um, and it's, it's similar for me in why I love the therapeutic process so much. You get to see that with human beings. And it's also the same feeling that I get in growing teams and growing departments and growing organizations, like getting to inspire and to be a part of something going from a seedling and to um, helping to nurture that thing and watch it grow felt very, very important to me. And so, of course, you know, becoming a therapist was a big, a big piece of that. And then from that, um, you know, stepping into positions where I got to do a, a similar type of work with industries and, and, and um, groups. And I think one step further, um, just as far as my my purpose and my work, I think with with those that are on my team, I I really feel compelled to um, sort of help light the path for others that have maybe had a similar experience as myself. So you know, I I didn't always feel comfortable in every room that I stepped into. Like I I didn't come from a place of, you know, my parents didn't have a lot of power or privilege. Like I didn't know what it took to, um, to be at the table in a boardroom or to, you know, step up and, and level up in my career into higher levels of leadership. So that feels very important to me as well, like lighting the path for, um, other women and, and disenfranchised humans that just like want to do more and want to do better and just aren't really certain of the path. So. I think that's a really common theme for me as well. Um, and I try to, I try and do a little bit of that every day and everything that I do and, and find other, you know, you know, unique ways to do that in the world. So hmm. that's probably mine. So I want to hear from Jennifer also, but just to follow on there. So you were practicing, were, was there like trepidation or was it just a, a confident leap of faith to go to lightfully like, 
you know, because that's a very different role than, you know, day-to-day -day therapy versus chief growth officer at a hyper expansion organization. But what was that like for you? Well, you zoomed me forward really quickly, but there was many, many steps in between those two things. Um, you know, when I had went back to graduate school to become a therapist, I, I had already had some other experiences in um, really like the um, financial sales industry. And so my background really was in sales. And then I went back to grad school. And so I, I feel like I already kind of held um you know, two different pieces of, of what my job is now. Um, but just being someone, I think, who leans into new opportunities, I didn't always know what this path was going to look like. But, you know, I, I was working, this was a couple organizations ago, and they were like, hey, we're trying to expand into this area. And we need someone who can help us do that and do outreach and, you know, not really understanding maybe that that's exactly where I wanted to be, but understanding that like, hey, I'm a really quick learner. I um, I, I just want to do my part in helping this this thing grow into whatever it's going to be and, and being willing to lean into new opportunities, um, even though they were scary. Um, and I think that's a common thing with, with those of us at Lightfully. Be brave is one of our shining commitments. And, um, you know, so I think it's important to, think about those things. We don't always go into opportunities knowing all of the things that we need to know. But I think if we have confidence in ourselves and our ability to, you know, pull the the appropriate people around us that can help guide us to do those things, then, you know, why not get into the arena, like Jennifer said, and 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 see what you can do. So hmm. yeah. So there were stepping stones along the way. And I certainly can relate to, you know, I, I didn't grow up with silver spoon privilege uh, per se. I certainly had, you know, a family that cared for us and provided shelter and food and all of those things, which are, of course, blessings in in my life. Mm -hmm. um, but, but you don't, you regardless of your circumstance, you never quite have full certainty over what could potentially happen. In part because life is so complex, like there's so many. Mm -hmm choices and decisions and luck as a part of it and just circumstance. So it's fascinating to me. I, you know, I went through this phase where I was making the dumbest parody music videos and they're so bad and so silly. And they were aimed at like youth. Um, my daughter had just come into the world. And uh, so I was just in this sort of like muse renaissance moment and and i was just thinking what what am i doing this for why am i doing this and so then to fast forward to today and yes stepping stones along the way but to be in a place where i can use some decent video chops and audio skills to put together conversations like this it's it's um phenomenal so so jennifer in light of andy i think te like teed it up for you really nicely i'd love to hear um sort of about you know, your calling, your vocation, and especially, or including the culture aspect, which really resonates through sort of your seven beliefs or your seven pillars that this whole company is built on. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but more often than not, I think that does come from the leadership um, and trickles down through, you know, through the hierarchy and through all the employees and the structure of the company. But what about your vocation and how did you find it and lock into it? Yeah, well, I always like to emphasize that, um, like you said, I think life is a combination of um, happenstance and intention and everything in between. And I, I tell that to my kids um, a lot. You know, don't feel like you have to have it figured out. Like it just don't. But I was I was actually an anthropology major. <laughs> so culture, you know, it's fascinating now to look back and go, whoa, like culture started there. <laughs> yeah. um, and I thought I was going to be an anthropologist. And um, to my, you know, my parents were correct when I got when I graduated, there were not very many anthropology jobs. So <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of anthropology, the retail store jobs. I don't know. <laughs> I know. I don't even think that existed back then. <laughs> I don't yeah. even know. So, um, so so yeah, I, I I didn't have an anthropology job when I graduated. And I sort of fumbled into a job in the uh, for a large skilled nursing company, um, and found my way all over that company and learning about business. But 
the what 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 now in retrospect was the theme there's a couple of themes and one big one was um, helping people that are in a vulnerable part of life um mm-hmm. actually when i look back across the whole stretch of my career it's whether it's serving people in skilled nursing in hospice in dialysis in mental health crisis right like clearly what gets me out of bed is of being of service to people who are struggling you know and i think we all whether ourselves or in our families have been in those times where you know it feels very scary and dark and our hand our, our life is in the hands of somebody else um and it's just an honor to like be of support to people who are there um so that was a thread for sure um as i mentioned the culture piece has has been a, a like a throughput as well and really this need to connect for me like who am i as a human being what's important to me and 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 i, and I don't want to be compartmentalized and where that's just like when i'm not at work <laughs> so this desire you know to create a work environment where i can be in my values be authentic allow for others to do the same um creates a really different kind of experience i mean life is too short to not be fully living in our values in the day or night or anywhere in between um and then i'd say the last big thread for me was just this just struggle that i experienced as a female um and you know not not the sort of overt stuff that you hear about in the me too movement but more along the lines of i just didn't feel like i fit in very well um and when i looked to different leaders growing up in my career i just was like wow that doesn't look or feel like who i am so i had this conflict going on of like ooh do i emulate i was smart enough to know i could emulate certain behaviors to get like taken seriously and to get the promotion but it felt really icky and i was like wishing for a world where i could be really myself and bring my strengths forward um and for that to be valued so i was like that was where i was striving of like hey if i can actually create a company <laughs> then i can i can make that possible like i can open up the possibilities for all different kinds of leaders not just like a certain profile so hmm. i think there was like this this like hidden pull that was happening inside of me like i want to lead i want to lead i want to lead because i wanted to be given that opportunity so mhm yeah and you want to do it in an authentic way which aligns with the yeah. sort of the, the second thing you said and this is so hmm. catching that echo again we're just going to roll with it um, so it, that's really inspiring to me. And, and in an interview, you said, uh, you know, we're sort of taught to be emotionless and directive and, and the know-it-all good leader. And, um, certainly leaders need to figure out a way to live in and with conflict. Um, and, you know, we think there's maybe only one, one right way to do that, but, um, just, just um, in my own path, being able to identify with what you just said as, you know, there's aspects of me that have that same leadership longing or that leadership, um, you know, drive. And that's, that's come out in different ways across the years um, and still on that path, sort of seeking and searching what that looks like. But it, it was just so encouraging reading back on, on, on your life a little bit, how you, you felt like you came to that place where you said, yes, I can be an authentic leader and be myself entirely. I think that's so cool. Thank you. Thank you. And mainly it's, it's it's cool for me because it gives others permission to do the same. Um, like there's one, I, I'll never forget one email, little email that I got from a really young woman um, in a company I was leading. And she said something like, I never thought of myself as leader material um, before I worked with you in this company because it just like, I never fit the profile. And hmm. now I believe in myself and I'm like, 
whoa, <laughs> that, that is, that's what fills my cup. Like I forget the dollars and the, you know, the accomplishments and the titles, like that's what fills my cup is like inspiring someone else to, to do the same. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what impact you're having on people's lives in, in different ways. Um, okay. So let's, let's jump forward to, um, actually you, you tell me, um, Jennifer, do you want to go Oprah quote or Peter Drucker quote? This is choose your own adventure now. <laughs> oh man. I have, I have to go Oprah. Cause it's like, um, this is it. This is going to be the podcast that perks her interest. Right? <laughs> I, this mean, is the I love Peter, I love Peter, but, <laughs> yeah, but let's go, like, let's when go you're Oprah. A, when you're yeah. in, when you're in Napa at lunch telling this story, you know you're gonna say, "Oh yeah, I went, I doubled down on Oprah, and it made all the difference." She says this: "Think like a queen. A queen is not afraid to fail. Failure is another stepping stone to greatness." So, in this environment where nothing is guaranteed and there is failure um, or past iterations where maybe you learn from. Uh, in addition to the constant risk, you know, the everyday, you try to, you try to calculate and mitigate risk. Um, what is, what is the concept of failure mean to you in terms of how you've learned to interpret it when it happens or when you feel like it's happening? And, and is there one maybe big life lesson or takeaway for the audience that they can maybe, tr maybe it transforms their perspective on failure, which can be a really really sad, hurtful thing. And we can take it really personally, but, but what does that topic mean to you when Oprah says, Hey, think like a queen, the queen's actually not afraid to fail. Andy, do you want to take this? Sure. Um, I mean, so many good things and so many good examples of this, I think at lightfully and with our leaders, but, you know, leaning into, or, or, launching a startup organization, like you got to expect there are going to be some failures. Like, and I think the, the beautiful thing about failure is really the opportunity for learning and growth. And I think if, um, you know, you create an environment where a, it is safe to fail and, we do look at it as like, Hey, what can we learn from this and how can we do better next time? Or how can this inform what we're doing to make, you know, the lives of, of our staff better, the lives of other humans better. Um, I think you really create a new narrative and, and reframe what failure means. Um, but I think that first piece of it, it being a safe place to fail is just, I can't, I can't say enough about how important that is because I have worked in, in um, other atmospheres that that is not the case and um, it doesn't feel safe to fail. Um, and so I think it's important to both create um, a culture and a sense of, of you know, psychological safety around that um, because that's really when I think you see people and teams blossom and do their best work. Um, and, and it's going to be messy and that's sort of how we get the best ideas and create the best things like you've got to kind of throw some things out there and go hey i don't know if this is going to work but we're going to go after it and figure it out um and you know creating some paths for learning for yourself so you know i think it's huge and it's important yeah one that, of our company values yeah. our shining commitments we call them is wabi sabi which is um, for those um, viewers or listeners that don't know the concept, it's it's this idea of like all the broken things put together to make something beautiful. It's the beauty and imperfection. Um, but, you know, Steve, you talk a lot about innovation. Well, innovation does not happen in an environment where people feel like they need to be perfect. So we've actually like held up this concept of imperfection and failure as like like not only is it okay, but like, please do it <laughs> because we know we're going to get the best of you, you know, if you feel free and safe to uh, mess up. And so it's critically important, I think, for, for innovation to happen. That's you know, sweet. one of my favorite practices, um, Steve, that we do on a monthly, we have an all company call monthly and every month a different leader will share a failure or um, a big mistake. And um, A, I think it creates a sense of um, 
safety around vulnerability. You know, when you've got your CEO on a call saying like, hey, here's a time when I had a big uh-oh and and here's what I learned from that, right? Like I think it it creates again that psychological safety and then also the sense that that these are opportunities for growth. These are not things that are going to hold us back. These are actually things that can propel us forward if we can look at them from the right perspective. So, mm-hmm. I love that practice. Yeah. Jennifer, when you mentioned wabi-sabi, I was about to mention wabi-sabi and I think it's because um, I learned it from Andy. Actually, I learned that that term, and <laughs> and because what Andy was talking about was so core, it's so aligned with your values. Um, I was talking with this person, Brian Kramer is his name, and he says that brands actually need three things in order to be facilitating human to human connection, and it's simplicity, and it's empathy, and it's imperfection. So for you to highlight imperfection and wabi-sabi it's not only it's well it's it's beautiful because you're you're flipping the incentive structure and lots of people have been in companies where the incentive structure is do not take risks and get in line and sit in the meeting and don't speak up and certainly don't make mistakes and certainly don't talk about your mistakes if you make them and to flip all of that expectation on the head on its head and say no actually we're going to intentionally live this out because not only is it not a weakness but uh, it's it it's helpful and to brian's perspective and from your perspective both it's actually beneficial to the organization and to to innovation moving forward for sure. That's, for sure. That's and this, so cool. This ties a lot into when I was saying, hey, like, I don't feel like I fit the bill, you know, growing through my career of leader because, you know, so many of the leaders conveyed or portrayed themselves as like, I have all the answers, you know, come to me, the wise mm-hmm. one. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, I never really felt like that. <laughs> you know, I mean, I have good skills and I, you know, but um, and so. But and when you really get down to it, I don't think any of us really feel like that. <laughs> so like that's where the idea is just like, let's get rid of that and just ask, let's just be comfortable asking hard questions and and excavating things because that's actually how we get to solution making. Um Yeah. So. And and to circle back maybe just just what you said circled me back to Oprah's quote about uh queenship and uh you know great queens and kings we've maybe seen in history um have the ability to to lift other people up you know they have the ability to serve sort of an an archetype even bigger than themselves it's almost like they're being in leadership for the sake of something much grander than their own ego and when their ego gets involved then it turns into a, a tyrant you know or it turns into um sort of the 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 child king and uh, and it goes unhealthy pretty quickly so for you to be able to lift people up in your role um you know it's it's a it's a loose comparison but there are there are some ways that a, a company can walk and talk a little bit like this this uh, kingdom that you formed, you know? So there's, I don't know, there's an analogy that sometimes circles through my head, but okay. So you mentioned innovation. And so I'm out of Oprah quotes, although there are thousands out there, but (laughs) there is, there is this one and it's 50% for you, Jennifer, and 50% for you, Andy. So maybe we'll start on the innovation side and move to the marketing side. Um, But Uh, Peter Drucker writes, because the purpose of business is to create a customer, the business enterprise has two and only two basic functions, marketing and innovation. Marketing and innovation produce results. All the rest are costs. Marketing is the distinguishing uh, unique function of the business. So marketing is a broad term there from Drucker's perspective. But Jennifer, why don't you tackle innovation and um, sort of what would you say Lightfully is doing from an innovation standpoint and and as much as you can give us kind of a peek into the future because you're, you know, part of your role is to be futuristic. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, I think there's a couple of really big areas. So if, you know, bringing us back to the original, you know, why did we, why do we exist, right? It was to fill this, what I saw as a need, a hole in the market. Um, But there, um, there are some real challenges and 
with providing care for people in behavioral health care at these levels of care in a consistent, high quality way. Um, and so just go with me for a second, because this takes a moment to explain. Let's but, go. Um, okay, let's do this. So when you think about medical care, non-behavioral, right? So like where most of the energy has gone in our nation around healthcare, it's been on the medical side. Um, there is a level of consistency of protocol, of reliability of what you're getting, whether you go to this hospital or that hospital, right? There's like, so, so, so there's been a lot of work, I think, around ensuring like consistent protocol. I know what I'm going to get when I have this knee issue, like these things are going to happen. <laughs> Okay, on the behavioral side, because it's such a new industry, I mean, it really is a, a new budding part of healthcare. It really has been the Wild West. Um, and we have, you know, a world where the, the amount of consistency and structure has been, I mean, we're just learning, we're limited in that area. Mm -hmm. So um, I've said in a few interviews, like I seek to be the DeVita of mental health care. Um, and for those <laughs> listeners or viewers that don't know DeVita, they're the world's largest dialysis company. And what they're known for is a true like consistency of care, whether you're getting care in the United States or in China or wherever it is. Um, and so that's my goal is that I want to be a provider where we've taken kind of this wild west of the mental health space and created so much more consistency and rigor and structure. So at our levels of care, if you think about, okay, I've given you the main diagnoses that we treat. We treat depression, anxiety, trauma, PTSD. Well, there are hundreds of diagnoses and there are hundreds of modalities, right, um, that have been developed to treat these diagnoses. So let's just stop for a minute and think about how complicated this gets when you have someone at an elevated level of care that present with, you know, a couple of comorbidities. How are you going to consistently provide that treatment across countries right? um, when, you know, it's like there's this matchy match game of, okay, well, this person just presented with trauma. We're going to, we need an EMDR therapist, or this person presented with an anxiety. We need this kind of therapist. So it's just unrealistic. And it's, it's, it's truly a problematic way that this, this sector has been set up. So what we have done at Lightfully that I'm so proud of that is going to help us to create this consistency is we have um, aligned with what's called process-based therapy framework. This is the next generation of work of Stephen Hayes. And, and in a nutshell, in a non-clinical way, what this is, is we've taken all the madness of the hundreds of modalities and he's boiled it down to really 12 key areas of suffering and a set number of key interventions that are all evidence-based that sort of carry across all of these modalities. So it's like we're, we're, we're taking down the madness and bringing it to a very consistent way of looking at a client's presentation of symptoms and creating a care plan with a set of protocols that are not from hundreds and hundreds, but from you know 12 key areas and applying that consistently um, from location to location, from client to client. Thus, not only is our delivery consistent, but then the outcomes that we're that we're um, experiencing are consistent and reliable, right? This this is the next generation of mental health care, and like that that's what we're that's what we're doing here at Lightfully. So that's what I would say on the innovation front is front and center. That's huge, yeah. And on you know like whether it's CBT or what have you, sort of my understanding of that approach is that you can reach into some of the best, most effective you know treatments and diagnoses from your perspective and not be not be fenced in necessarily um, by one process or one modality. And, and there's also a wonderful level set or a foundation of outcomes, which has always been, you know, one of the concerns. And, um, and so we'll start to be able to have some more quantitative, uh, more reliable, more rigorous outcomes that we can rely on and, and improve from, but you have to, you sort of have to start somewhere and then build. Um, so to have the 12 that have been identified, not to say there aren't hundreds, but you know, the 12 most important uh, let, let you provide that level of care in a way that is innovative for today and going forward.
Absolutely. You got it. Awesome. Okay. So what about the marketing, Andy? Tell us about, um, you know, I know you've launched a new website recently. You've got that cool Tolstoy video on there that answers some of the most pressing questions Mm -hmm. right out of the gate. But uh, talk us through your marketing strategy, what you're doing, what you're not doing as it relates to promoting mental health in, in California and beyond. Sure. Well, I think a good place to start would be connecting this to sort of what Jennifer was sharing with um, our approach to treating clients and process-based therapy. I think one of the things that we believe very strongly in is um, we treat human beings. Um, we don't just treat the diagnosis. We see each and every individual as a human um, with unique needs. And um, it's important to us to really customize what we're doing to each and every individual. And I think you've heard some of this in our conversations, but I think as a whole, Lightfully is incredibly human. Like we believe in being authentic and being vulnerable. And so I think with all of that being said, um, you know, organic uh, marketing efforts is something that we were leaning into pretty heavily this year. Um, you know, not only because it's a more authentic way to engage with your audience, but ultimately it's more sticky. Um, you know, I think that if Lightfully can create content that is incredibly valuable in all of our videos, posts, articles, and that we're really just presenting very thoughtful solutions to the problems that people are searching for in real time, like that, that's where we bring real value to the market and, and where we're going to connect with our clients. And so that feels very, very important to me. Um, and both in, you know, short form and long form content. I mean, I think we all know that, um, attention spans are getting squeezed, right? And so we have a lot of these platforms where we can offer more compelling information to some of our younger audience. So, you know, things like TikTok and Instagram, things like that. It's very important for us to be able to be authentic and also concise and like get them the information right away that they need to know um, and also establish ourselves as um, a trusted source within um, the mental health field and the wider market. I mean, so many young folks are going to TikTok for therapy these days, if you can call it that. And so, you know, being amongst a, a, a sea of, of lots of information, it's really important, I think, that we establish ourselves as as both credible, but also human. And, and like, hey, we see you, we see your struggle, and here are some very practical ways that we can help you right now. And if you decide to reach out for, for further support with our teams, um, I think, you know, we're, we're trying to really create content right now that is going to educate, encourage, and inspire. Um, and some of those like more long form versions of content just give us more real estate to do that. Um, so, you know, just in terms of SEO, really focusing on that and, and video content to give us some more of the higher ranking, um, mm-hmm. you know, stuff that you get with, uh, GA4 now with all of the, the adjustments that they've made, um, so I think those are the areas that we're really, really focused on, you know, just creating really quality, really human contact, uh, content that um, is going to be compelling and, and helpful more than anything else because um, people are suffering. So, you know, how do we how do we find a solve to that? Yeah. Yeah. The organic move feels like the long game. And I almost always prefer to play the long game, although that's not to say that it can't be uh, just the right piece of content for a moment in time when a a parent or a family Mm -hmm. member or, you know, the the customer, client or patient themselves, depending on how you talk about them, are ready for that message. And then they can sit with that, um, you know, 700 word blog post or they can sit with that video and really learn from you. But but that's a very human approach to have a mix as well, because, you know, a lot of a lot of kids are on YouTube. They're kind of fading off of the kind of fading Facebook, I think is how kids would say it. Um, but TikTok, you know, and other platforms, Instagram coming on very strong. So you do have to be aware of meeting people where they are in their humanity. So it's certainly understandable that you don't have just one channel. But what about your mm-hmm. website, that place it's sort of the new front door um, 
for a company? Mm -hmm. What what were the signals that said, okay, th this is the time to invest in a new upgraded website? And and what were a couple of the big, big goals that you wanted to have as outcomes with a successful project mm -hmm. like that? And it is really beautiful. It's really successful, I think. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, well, I think it was, you know, like everything else with the startup, like there's a progression of things. And as we launched and as we started treating clients, we learned a lot. Um, and when Lightfully first launched, you know, we, we were going to treat adults with primary mental health. We wanted this unicorn offering of a program that was going to serve adults with primary mental health. And what became very evident very, very quickly was there was an overwhelming need for a really quality provider in the teen space as well. And so um, launching the teen product halfway through last year, a um, couple of the things that stuck out to me as I was looking at our website as both a, you know, a human and a mom of a teen herself, um, you know, I felt like we needed to do two things. One, I wanted to create um, really clarity of what it is that we are doing here and also differentiation between the adult product and the teen product. Um, and I call them products, but they're really service offerings, right? And what we do, um, because I think it is, you know, we're, we're treating primary mental health in both cases, but there are some very unique things um, in that stage of development with teens that I think we need to be prepared to address and speak to and um, and so it felt really important for me to be able to um, just show how those those two service offerings are are different and also in the same family of offerings um, in our PBT approach. Um, and also, thirdly, I think that we just you you mentioned the Tolstoy video, which has Jennifer's lovely face as the first one that pops up. Um, we like to tease her a little bit about that on some of our individual calls. Anytime you go to the website, there's Jennifer giving you we tips call it and advice. Jennifer. <laughs> but it, it just felt like a way to both extend a really human, like you see somebody's face. Like there is, we're not just a website. We're not just these brick and mortar facilities, but we are live humans within these spaces that are helping to care for the humans that come to see us. And so it felt important to have a human connection and also to have a little of your choose your own journey feel, if you will. You know, not every person that comes to our website is struggling with the same exact thing. So how can we help them most quickly get to the information that they need and the questions that they have? Um, and so, you know, developing tools that I think can help with that pathway is, was really, really important to us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love the humanity of that. I, I totally mm -hmm. want to try that on our website for the, the conference I run, but also you retooled your website in part to, to get real crisp and clear about your, your messaging and communication around your products or services. And then also some mm -hmm. audiences that you needed to. Um, really make sure you were serving with from the very beginning, the customer experience is the very, the very same as what they get through throughout. So Jennifer, I, we're going to wrap up, but I do want to, I would do want to leave you with one question and maybe you can close us out. Um, so there's, you, you mentioned early on and it's true. I think there's the, the Ernst and Young survey, you know, a couple few years ago that was referenced in an article about, how like it's 20% of funded companies are women led. You said you're women led and women powered, women founded at Lightfully. What is, um, and then you have this lead like a chick um, initiative as well that I that I wanna learn more about. So what's your passion about that? And, and what would you encourage maybe somebody, some some future person that you can maybe, their life you can impact with something you say here about, uh, what it takes to be a, a woman entrepreneur, female-led company, and and what's your mindset there? Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. I mean, obviously, this is something that's near and dear to my heart. Um, we've talked quite a bit about the the journey of like authenticity, which is one of my two values, um, authenticity and courage, actually. Um, but we've talked a lot about that, right? Where I think my my desire for encouraging women leadership is really my desire for encouraging authentic leadership, um, whether that's women leaders or, you know, male leaders or non-binary leaders. It's it's being, you know, OK and welcomed and empowered as yourself 
to lead. Um, so, and I think given your quote, and I've heard different statistics, I mean, there's a whole bunch of them. Um, I think right now it's 4% of companies of scale are led by women. Um, wow, you know, that one's pretty mind boggling. And what we know is that, you know, women led companies um, have, not only do they create, I think, more inclusive environments, but they also create more economic value. <laughs> so it's the, the facts are sort of there. And so, you know, it's, it's what is, what's getting in our way and why is this, why is this a slow progression? And I mean, clearly a really complicated, um, clearly a really complicated societal challenge for us to tackle. But I think my little corner here is um, how, you know, promoting sort of the value of what it can look like for a women-led company to, to make change in how we experience the work environment, um, mm -hmm. as well as how we impact a really important need in our country, you know. Mm -hmm. And so if I can just keep doing the thing <laughs> and being successful, that like, that's my contribution, right? To, that hopefully it's noticed, um, again, whether on the human side of like, hey, we're making the world a better place and we're, we're a, a safe landing place for people who need help or on the economic side of, hey, we've just created value, right? For shareholders and we're doing our part in our economic growth, all of the above, just do the good work. <laughs> So, so that's what I do. I, if I get too philosophical, Steve, like I can just get myself all twisted around. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Keeping it simple. Um, and, you know, what I say to, to women leaders, women, whether it's on my team or people that I've connected with is, you know, it's, um, is like, don't feel like, don't fit the mold. I know it feels like we have to at times, you know, like, like that's the way we're going to get from point A to point B, but like do our best to, to, to stay authentic. Don't do it. Like, because when we're authentic is it's when we shine the brightest. Mm -hmm. um, and it's mm -hmm. when, it's when we'll find our path. It's when those things will unfold for us that they're meant to. It's when we're, we feel empowered in the day. It's when we want to get out of bed and do the thing. So like, just stay there and everything else will, will, will find its way. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. With authenticity and courage combined as you do that work. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, thank you for being on the boost and I'm thrilled that y'all are coming out to Nashville. I just said y'all, but, um, your, your executive, <laughs> that slipped out. Your executive team is coming to the mental health marketing conference to present more about um, sort of a multifaceted approach and look at growing a company and what it takes to keep the culture. It's obviously an authentic thing and it's fun to talk with you today about it. I can't wait to share this out um, with our audience, but thank you both for being on the show today. Thank you, Steve. Thank I you, love Steve. your podcast. So I appreciate you giving us the time and um, asking so many great questions. So. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And when you go to lunch with Oprah, I, um, let me know. I'll send you like a bottle of wine or something. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yep, uh, I'm so sure. excited for it. I can't wait. <laughs> just a matter of time now. Let's just hit publish. All right. With that, let's uh, sign off. Have a good one. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye.